This is Luke Hazelmeyer, and this message that you're about to listen to is about deliverance or the casting out of demons. It is part two of a message I gave three weeks ago, and it'll give you practical tools on how to do deliverance and also a deeper understanding of what is behind the possession or the demonization of people. Hope you enjoy. We're going to pick back up with the Supernatural series, and just to remind you, the thrust of this series is that there is both a seen and an unseen realm. We need to be very aware of each of them, and if I could uh, take a brief aside, we had planned this series on focusing on the unseen realm, the supernatural realm, before the pandemic hit, and I think it would have been normal for us to consider, hey, should we maybe pause this series, do a different series, and come back to this one when things are back to normal? But it just hit me this morning that right now it is a critical time to be aware of the unseen realm. When all we are exposed to and seeing all the times what's happening in the scene, it can be distracting. And so I'm actually excited that we felt like God was saying just stay in this series, and I'm starting to see why, that it is vital we stay focused on the unseen realm in this time. So, um, so that's the, the series is all about, it's all about those two realms, and when we experience the unseen realm in a tangible way, from the seen realm, that is what we call supernatural. And Jesus taught us to resist the evil unseen realm and welcome God's kingdom which is the unseen rule and reign of God. So this message is actually part two to a message I gave three weeks ago. If you did not catch that message, I highly recommend that you listen to it. And here's why. That message was about deliverance or the casting out of demons. And what you're gonna hear this morning is part two to that message. And I think there are a lot of really important things that you need to say to kind of lay the groundwork and form context before you talk about something like casting out demons. And I'm going to skip a lot of that this morning that I did three weeks ago. So uh, again, highly, highly encourage you to check out that message if you did not hear it. But what we talked about in that message, first we addressed two issues that often come up when you're talking about casting out demons, fear and overzealousness. I had some things to say about that. And then we talked about a biblical overview of deliverance ministry and went into several different um, passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so we're we're not going to go there right now. And then we started to talk about a seven or eight step model for casting out demons, and we spent a little more time on the first couple steps and didn't really have time to get to the later steps. So we're going to focus on those later steps this morning. But let's pray, and then I wanna, I'd love just to dive in. Holy Spirit, I ask that across the city and the uh, state world, whoever is watching, that you would make yourself present, that you would... Um, shape our hearts and form us in the next half hour. Let us get out of this time what you have for us. Let us not miss a single thing, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So the goal is that if you are sitting on your couch or wherever you are, that after you hear this message, you would feel confident in approaching casting out a demon, or you'd feel confident in interacting with somebody who you know or someone you don't know who is being oppressed by a demon and releasing freedom to them. So we're going to start by talking about perhaps one of the most important concepts when it comes to deliverance ministry. It's in, it's in 2 Corinthians 10. We're going to talk about strongholds. They're also called fortresses in the Bible, same thing. And we're going to talk about strongholds because strongholds are the primary way that a person is oppressed by the enemy. So before we talk more about that, let's define what we're talking about when we say strongholds. So let's read 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verses 3 through 5. Here's Paul. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So let's break this down. First, here's how Blue Letter Bible defines the term fortress. A fortress is this, the arguments and reasonings a disputant relies on in order to fortify his opinion and defend it against his opponent. So we're talking about arguments, we're talking about lines of reasoning that one party uses to defend its position against an opponent. And so when we're talking about demonic strongholds, the opponent is actually God. So God is, anytime we believe a lie, God is trying to help us believe the truth. He's trying to speak the truth over us through people, to us personally, through, our, uh, through things we encounter. And what will happen is, as that truth is being spoken to us, the enemy through that stronghold will actually combat our ability to receive the truth. And so the stronghold, it, it, it really is kind of like a fortress preventing God from gaining more influence over your mind. And like I said, this is the primary way that a person is oppressed by the enemy. And I want to break down this scripture a little bit more. So Paul said that, our weapons of warfare are not for the flesh, but our weapons destroy fortresses. So that tells us right there that those who are in Christ, we actually have the power via the Holy Spirit in us to destroy in other people those strongholds that the enemy establishes. And then Paul goes on to say, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. What does it mean that a thing is raised up against the knowledge of God. All it means is that thing is preventing us from knowing God as he is. And so whatever lie we're believing, that is something that is preventing us from actually knowing God or knowing ourselves in the way that is true, in the way that God says and his word says. 
And so that's what those fortresses do. They raise up arguments and reasonings against our effort to know God. And then Paul says we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so it is those thoughts, that those lies that come into our mind, if we agree with them, if we believe them, that is actually building up that fortress in our mind, which is preventing God's truth that would set us free to know him better from becoming how we think. So that's what a stronghold looks like. Just to sum it all up, strongholds are believed lies that have become a mindset or paradigm. And that mindset or paradigm is what allows a demon to gain influence over a person. So let's make it practical. Let's talk about unforgiveness. This is often something that you'll run into if you're doing deliverance ministry. And so here's what happens. A person experiences hurt or pain from another person, and then rather than forgive them, which is not only what God's will would be for them, but is the best thing for the person who has been hurt. It's actually the best thing for you to forgive. Rather than forgive, you hold on to unforgiveness. So if God's calling you to forgive, but you are not forgiving, you, are, you can be certain you're believing lies there. It's just automatic you're believing lies. Like, for example, uh, maybe the lie you're believing is, um, that person's not worthy of my forgiveness. And that's why, you know, if I'm believing, that's why I'm holding on to that unforgiveness. And so there's a lie right there. No, that person is worthy of being forgiven because none of us are actually worthy of being forgiven, but God forgives us anyways. And so because God forgives us, who are we to not forgive someone else? And so that's a lie. Another lie might be, I have to win this, this situation. Otherwise, I'm not okay. That's a lie. Maybe it's just not possible for me to forgive them. Like they hurt me too deeply and there's just no way I could. That's a lie. And so when we have unforgiveness, there's actually, we're not just, it's not just a feeling. We're actually believing lies simultaneously. And so when you combine those lies with time and then the adopting of a mindset over time, eventually those lies go from just thoughts to like a, a mindset. All of a sudden, we are viewing a person radically different than God views them. And when I'm viewing a person or a situation radically different from God, I'm in trouble, <laughs> especially if that's over time. I am in trouble because we, we can't afford to not see the world and see people the way God sees them. And so that's where strongholds come in. So like I said, the longer that I believe the lie, the more established that mindset becomes. Let me give you a personal example of this in my life. So when I was in college, something I loved to do was debate atheists. I did it online, I did it in person, I did it in my sleep, I practiced with my roommate, and <clears throat> he wasn't an atheist, but he was my pet atheist, so I could practice my arguments. But, but that was something that I, that I really loved to do and had passion for. And so one day I decided that I was going to read this book that had been written by an atheist. And the book was all about why God's not real and why Christianity is bogus and religion is bogus. And I 
read the book because I wanted to pick apart all the arguments and really know the atheistic arguments better so that I could win more debates, basically. I wouldn't have said it like that back then, but that was basically the truth. I know a lot of you have heard me talk about this aspect of my life before. And so um, I started reading this book, and the first chapter impacted me way more than the last 10 chapters. So the last 10 chapters were all of this guy's arguments, and they were, I mean, not to be like arrogant, but I, at least I thought, maybe I was arrogant, I thought they were easy for me to disprove as I read them. They weren't, they didn't bother me at all, they seemed easy to address. But the first chapter uh, wasn't an argument. The first chapter was actually this guy's deconversion testimony. And so he talked about how he had been a pastor at one time and talked about his journey into atheism. And reading that, cha- after I read that chapter, there was, there was a way, it's hard to explain, that it impacted my heart that was not good for me. And actually, from, I didn't, it didn't start happening, I wasn't aware of this immediately, but I think from that moment on, I started to have these nagging doubts of God's existence in my mind. They weren't there before. And what was weird is that it's not like I was in sin. It's not like there was an argument that really troubled me or a certain issue that really baffled me. Um, I mean, I'm not saying I wasn't sinning at all, but I wasn't, didn't have this like deep, dark, private sin that I was hiding from everyone. Um, you know, and I, I wasn't like, I hadn't gone weeks without reading my Bible. Like I was reading my Bible every day. I was um, worshiping God. I was leading a small group of high school guys. I love the Lord deeply in this season. But as all of that was happening, I also started to experience these nagging doubts. Is God really, God can't really be real. That's usually how it would be. There can't actually be a God. And all I knew to do was read my Bible more, pray more, worship more, and read more arguments. And so I just kind of tried to grit my teeth and get through these doubts that I was experiencing. And it seemed like the harder I tried to get rid of them, the more intense they got. Until one evening, after watching this kind of disturbing show, I had actually got to a point where I felt like I was, I was having a crisis of faith, and I felt like I was going to lose my faith. Luckily, I didn't in that moment. Actually, God revealed himself in a miraculous way to me. I was driving down in Clifton at like two in the morning. Nobody was on the roads. I pulled up to, I was pulling up to the stoplight. Way back, the light turned yellow. And usually, not way back, actually, sorry, reverse of that. Real close to the light, the the light turned yellow. I could have easily made it through the light without, um, without running the red light. But for some reason, I just hit the brakes and stopped. And right as I stopped at the light, this semi came barreling down a hill, went through the intersection, would have drilled me in the driver's side door. And all that happened 10 minutes before, or 10 minutes after I'd asked God to give me a sign because I was so hurting and and just so doubting. And so that was cool. But that didn't take away the doubts. Um, It didn't. It didn't. It didn't take away the doubts. It, It was encouraging. And it was another thing that I could 
like say, well, no, God has to be real because of that. But I still just had those nagging doubts where I just could not get rid of them. Until I attended a Robbie Dawkins conference and it's, I didn't get free for the reason you might be thinking. So I attended this Robbie Dawkins conference. You might think, oh, you know, Robbie Dawkins, he's a famous Christian leader, healer, miracle worker. So you must have seen a miracle and that was undeniable proof. That's not what happened to me. Robbie was actually teaching on identity. And I had just started to hear the identity message via Wilson and I believed it, but I didn't understand how it actually would apply to me. And so I'm listening to Robbie share about identity and then something he says really struck me. He said, um, the enemy is the great identity thief and he will always try to make us believe something false about who we are. And as I was reflecting on that at the conference, I realized that I had been believing some pretty weighty lies about this topic that I was not even aware of. Let me tell you them. One was I was believing that having intellectual doubts about the existence of God was actually my cross to bear, so to speak, so that I could reach people who had doubts. And I believed that God was like intentionally keeping me in a place of having those so I could better relate with someone. Another lie I believe was that the only way my doubts were actually going to go away is if I could answer every argument that I heard. If I could like have an answer for everything, then I wouldn't doubt anymore. And then finally, I had this lie. This one might have been the most significant. I had this lie that I'm just different from most Christians. Like most Christians can just believe in God without any doubts, but I'm the exception. I'm just wired differently. And I realized what I'd been believing. And I was like, no, that's not how God made me. I am full of faith. I'm not one who has doubts. I'm one that has faith. And I started to make those declarations over myself, rejecting the lies that I believed for years. And I'm not saying that my doubts went away instantly, but I am saying that six months after that conference, I did not have intellectual doubts about God's existence anymore, and I have not had them since. What happened? I had a fortress that the enemy had gotten in my mind that I wasn't aware of. Those intellectual nagging doubts that I couldn't push away, those were, that was oppression from the enemy against me. And again, the enemy, not again, but the enemy's oppression looks different for everybody. That was what it looked like for me. And it took me realizing the lies I believed, rejecting them, and choosing to believe a new, choosing to believe the truth, choosing to believe a new thing that got me free from that. And so that's what the destruction of strongholds looks like sometimes. Sometimes the destruction of strongholds can just be you pray for someone, boom, their, that mindset gets obliterated by the power of God and they're free. Like Jesus probably did that every time that he did deliverance. But then there's other times where it actually takes that revelation of truth and revelation of truth can often be just as powerful as the power of God. And so, yeah. So that's strongholds. And I do want to say this, that it's possible to believe a lie for a long time and not experience the kind of oppression that I did. Like it's possible to believe a lie for a long time and you don't get demonized from it. So I don't want to make this sound like a formula. If you believe a lie long enough, you're going to get demonized. That's not what I'm saying. Um, It's kind of like, I remember as a kid, I would get 
cuts and scrapes because I played outside a lot. And my mom always wanted me to put alcohol or hydrogen peroxide and whatever the stuff is, uh, the cream that prevents you from getting infected. I forget what it's called. But um, my mom wanted me to do that and to bandage it and clean the wound. But sometimes, literally, I would just rub dirt in it. Like, I know that's a phrase. I would do that. And sometimes I would get infected from doing that, but sometimes I would not get infected. And I think it's the same way that the lies we believe is kind of like a cut on or a scrape on our body. And sometimes germs are going to get in there and, you know, it's going to create a much bigger problem than the original cut. And then sometimes, you know, our cut or scrape will just heal eventually, even if we don't do anything right in the healing process. So, um, that is, so that's just the point I wanted to make before we moved on from this is that let's not get crazy black and white weird about this stuff. I'm not saying if you believe a lie for a certain amount of time, you automatically get demonized. You know that. Okay, so then if strongholds are the primary way that the enemy will demonize somebody, and we are called to cast demons out of people. We're called to destroy those strongholds. What does that actually look like practically? So let's dive back into the steps that I shared last week. Again, I'm not going to spend as much time on these first couple. Go back and listen if you want to hear more. Step one, this isn't really a step. This is just kind of like a disclaimer. Decide ahead of time not to make a formula out of these steps. Why? Because deliverance ministry is not black and white. It's not an either-or kind of ministry. It's a both-and kind of ministry. Step two, or step one. I'm going to start saying step one from now, from now on. So step one, choose a leader. Why? Because if leadership is uncertain, authority is greatly undermined. Have you ever been in a room before? This has happened. I've seen this at ministry events a lot. It could have happened anywhere where two people or three people stand up at the same time and start trying to lead the room in something. What happens? Chaos. No one knows what to do. Everyone freezes, right? Why? Because there's no actual authority. There's a bunch of people vying for the room's attention and power. There's no authority. Same way when we're praying for deliverance. If you got three or four people all trying to pray their own thing, they want to pray over the person, say their own thing. You got one person that's praying in tongues super loudly while someone else is trying to talk to the person. It's just going to be chaos. So you choose a leader. Go back and listen more. That's, that's an important point. I said a lot more about that three weeks ago. Go back and listen to that for sure. Step two, take charge of the situation or uh, minimize the chaos. This is especially important when you're coming into a situation where somebody is already manifesting a demon. What do I mean by manifesting a demon? I mean that something, some expression is happening that is not caused by them, but it's caused by the demon that's oppressing them. You know, the common ones we think of are um, like growling or eyes rolling back, doing weird things, but it could also be other stuff too. It could be a certain body part that's shaking and won't stop shaking. Um, it can be someone uh, just like hysterically crying and they can't stop even though they want to. It's plenty of things it can be. And so, especially when you come into a situation where that is already happening, first step is to, is to take charge of that situation. Now, sometimes a person will say, hey, 
I uh, think I had this going on. Can we meet at two o'clock on Thursday and can you pray for me? Well, if that's the case, the situation is probably going to be calm when you arrive. And that's actually where you do a really important thing, which is interview the person and learn as much as you can about what they've been going through. I talked about that more last time again. Okay, step three. Confirm that the person actually desires freedom. Believe it or not, there are times people don't actually want to be free from what they're afflicted by. I think everybody who is demonized, I think they know how that demon is hurting them, but sometimes there's actually benefits involved. Like sometimes people are able to get like psychic information that they wouldn't have gotten unless they were demonized. Sometimes people are able to, um, there's just, there's benefits. And first, if, that, if, if you know someone like that, one thing at the right time you should tell them is, hey, that's because God's put a gifting on your life and the enemy is trying to pervert it. But if you were to give that over to God, you would experience all those benefits you're experiencing and way, way more. Um, but for whatever reason, sometimes people, they just don't want to let go. And if that's the case, just honestly, if that's the case, move on. You know, don't be harsh about it. Don't try to like twist their arm into it. I would encourage you just uh, f- um, in a kind way and the interaction. Be like, hey, you know what? I don't know that this kind of prayer would be right for you right now, given where you're, you know, given what you just told me. So let me know if you ever change your mind. Next step, I believe this is step four. Identify the mindset that has empowered the stronghold. So this is where we discover those lies that have, in, that have reinforced the stronghold, which is the barrier to God's truth, his truth that's coming to free people. Um, how do we do that? First, asking questions. I mentioned in an interview before. First thing to do is to ask questions. There was a time, I can't remember if I told the story last time, so sorry if you're hearing this again. There was a time at one of our house group meetings where there was a person who, it was pretty clear that they were being oppressed by uh, the enemy. And so, you know, they were not like a longtime member, they were relatively new, and so we just kind of loved them and waited for them waited for God to bring about the right timing, waited for them to come to us. And eventually, probably a couple months in, I, after I had had a couple of conversations with this person, developed a little bit of rapport, I felt this rush of confidence and boldness that it was the time to interact with this person and to get them set free. And so I, I didn't realize at the time, I think I was experiencing a gift of faith, but I went over to this person and said, hey, uh, do you think that you get oppressed by the enemy? And they said, yeah. And I'm like, okay, do you want to be free from that? And they said, do I want to be free? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, I do want to be free. And so then I started praying for this person. And I mentioned this earlier, all of a sudden their arm just started shaking like this uncontrollably and they couldn't get it to stop. And 
after kind of like saying some prayers, like stop in Jesus' name, I command that to stop in Jesus' name, and kind of taking control of the situation, step two, I was able to start asking this person questions like, hey, um, do you have any idea as to what is going on here? Do you know why? Do you know uh, what kind of oppression you're experiencing? Do you know why, like what could have happened to you that maybe is making this happening? And after asking a bunch of questions, what we realized was that there was a lot of unforgiveness from a former fiance in this person's life. And after they verbally forgave that person, then the deliverance was able to happen smoothly. And so asking questions like, um, a good question to start with is, hey, is there anyone that you haven't forgiven? Or maybe a question could be, have you experienced any hurt emotionally at a point in your life that you don't know that you've dealt with yet? Just simple questions like that. Um, And again, if this person is willingly wanting to get free, I don't think you need to be worried about going too deep with the questions. That's another reason why you ask, hey, do you want to actually participate in this? It's going to get a little personal. So asking questions is great. But then it's not just asking questions. Sometimes in order to identify those mindsets that might have empowered the stronghold, um, you can get words of knowledge. I mentioned briefly about how Jamie and I were praying for some people in Australia this past September, and the one person that I was praying for who was just, when I walked up to her, totally out of control, um, what ended up, the thing that ended up getting her the most breakthrough was actually a word of knowledge that someone I was praying with got about something that had happened in her childhood. And so, especially if you're the person who's not like leading, if you know, if you got three people doing the deliverance, one is the leader, remember. Other two, a really good thing for you to do is to pray silently. Again, don't pray out loud, super loud, because then there's like chaos. But um, as you're praying silently, ask God to speak to you and give you words of knowledge for what led up to this person getting demonized. And oftentimes it's those words of knowledge that can be instrumental in them getting free. Now don't, if you get a word of knowledge, don't assume it's right. You can ask the person, hey, is this true? Have you been dealing with unforgiveness? Have you ever had any experience in witchcraft? Whatever the word of knowledge is, ask them. And and if it's right, it'll lead you down a path where you'll be able to help them get free. And then the third way you can identify those mindsets that are that are lies, built on lies, is sometimes just from your own observations. This person that I was doing deliverance on with another person in Illinois, um, she was clearly like out of control, like was not able to control herself beyond what I've normally seen in casting out demons. And so just from observing that, I had the thought that maybe she has like suffered with a, like the experience of feeling powerless and not being able to be in control of herself or her own life or whatever. So we asked her about that. It was very true. It led to a lot of freedom for her. And so you identify that mindset through all those means and more. Don't limit it to this. Again, it's not black and white, not a formula. Um, but you identify those mindsets that have empowered that stronghold. And so by the end of that process, you should be able to say something like, 
this person has unforgiveness towards this person for doing this thing. Or this person has felt out of control their whole life. This person has felt the need to perform for God in order to be loved. You should end with like statements like that that you can use in order to cast out the demon. Because again, remember, going back to fortresses, going back to strongholds, the enemy has these arguments and reasonings that are blocking God's truth. The enemy is saying, hey, this person I'm afflicting, you're not going to believe what God is saying because this lie. You're not going to believe what God's saying because they hurt you too bad. You're not going to believe what God is saying because um, you've really failed at loving God well. Like whatever. Like there are these arguments that the enemy is, are, is using to rebuff God's truth. And so um, we have to attack those arguments in order to let God's truth come in and set the person free. <clears throat> so once you've identified those lies, lead the, this is the next step, step whatever, lead the person in verbal rejection of the mindset and associated lies. For example, I forgive Bobby for throwing a shoe at me. That's a, just a, that's not real. But um, I forgive Nancy for, and, and I would encourage you to make sure the person doesn't hold back on describing the situation that happened to them. Like it shouldn't just be, I forgive Bobby for the thing he did to me. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but the one that I feel like is just a, the one I want to share is that the thoughts that have been circulating in that person's brain that have led to the fortress have been incredibly precise and specific and have spared no detail. And so if you want to break that lie, the declaration needs to include the same level or close to it of detail. And so um, sometimes it can get uncomfortable because a lot of times we're talking about sexual abuse here and other traumatic things. But, and again, you sen be sensitive throughout this. If someone is like, I don't want to go any farther, don't force them to. But um, it's important that people are specific in sharing exactly what they're forgiving so-and-so for or exactly what they used to think about themselves. Like, don't just have them say, like, if they th thought they were a pathetic loser and a failure and, didn't, and, did, and, and it, it was... Um, an atrocity to the world that they have been born. If those are the thoughts that have been going through their mind, have them declare those thoughts out loud. Of course, not saying they're true, saying I no longer believe those things. Um, spe yeah, so spec specificity. So reject those lies. I no longer am holding unforgiveness towards this person. And then have a, a declaration of truth that, is, that coincides with each rejection of lie. I no longer am holding on forgiveness towards this person. I forgive them in Jesus' name. So after that step, you're ready to cast out the spirit most of the time. Again, not black and white. And first thing you do is you command the spirit to go. Three things are important there. Name the spirit, name drop Jesus, and then say whatever else the Holy Spirit prompts you to say, but not too much. You don't want to like talk for a, a whole minute when you're casting out the Spirit. It should be short, concise, and succinct. And so name the Spirit. I'm not saying that you need to figure out like 
what is the exact precise name of this demon that I'm dealing with, you know? I'm not saying that. But I think there is an importance in specifically addressing what you're casting out, not just like a general term. And so here's why, even though I haven't ever felt like there's one and only one right name to cast out, I think that whatever phrase or word you use, it just needs to fully resonate with the person you're talking to. So for example, if you're, you know, if you're talking with someone and they are telling you about how they've just had terror around going into a church building. And over and over again, they use that word terror. You know, when it, when it comes time to cast that demon out, you could say, well, is that a spirit of fear? Is that a spirit of terror? Is that a spirit of dread? If they're using the word terror over and over again, I would use the word terror when you cast out the demon. So again, I don't think it's so important that you figure out what is the exact right and only right name, but I think that it just needs to really resonate with the person. Maybe unforgiveness is that word doesn't resonate as much as bitterness. And so if that's the case, cast out the spirit of bitterness. Again, it could be like the same kind of thing, but if the word resonates with the person, I've seen it have more impact on them getting free. And so name the spirit, and then I said name drop Jesus. All I mean is in Jesus' name, I cast out the spirit of terror. In Jesus' name, I cast out unforgiveness. And then anything else the Holy Spirit prompts you to say, you, you know, maybe he'll tell you to say, I break it. Maybe he'd have you like clap. Um, just be spirit-led there. So, uh, oh, another thing about this. Sometimes it can be really helpful to have the person look you dead in the eyes while you do this. And I don't really have a ton to say as to why, but I just have seen it work. So if, if you're having issues ever, and the person, if they're like refusing to look at you, it's probably because the demon is like trying to like keep itself in there. It's like, it's, it's like the demon's last stand. And sometimes making the person look at you and casting it out is helpful. And then this is another thing that this is not, this is not doctrine. This is just something that I've seen work. Repeating the command confidently I've seen really work. So not just saying like, I cast out unforgiveness in Jesus' name, but like, I cast out unforgiveness, I cast out unforgiveness, I cast out unforgiveness in Jesus' name, or I cast out unforgiveness in Jesus' name, get out, get out, get out. Like, like repetition, for some reason I've seen it help. And my theories, my pet theories as to why that helps are one, I think it, it helps keep the person you're praying for actually feel a little calmer. Like, here's what I mean. Have you, do you ever remember a parent or someone getting a splinter out of your foot when you were a kid? I remember it. And for some reason, my dad or my mom, like saying, okay, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, it's coming out. Like that continued, like them continuing to talk for some reason helped me stay more at peace. And I think sometimes repeating the, the phrase when we're casting a demon out of someone, whether it's get out or out, whatever, I think repeating it can actually help them stay calm. So it's, it's not like you say it once and then they're like, well, what's going to happen to me? But so that's one pet theory. Um, and then I think it just helps to prevent the demon from any last second attempts to stay. 
If the demon goes, you'll oftentimes be able to tell. There might be a sigh, a deep sigh, a deep exhale, a cough. Um, You'll often be able to tell. And the best thing to do after that is to pray that God would fill that void with himself, that truth would come rushing in. So that brings us to the final step. Assess the progress and decide what's next after that. You might go through the whole thing again, but focus on different lies this time. And don't feel the pressure that I have to get this person completely free before I leave my time with them, or I am like a bad Christian. Sometimes deliverance happens all at once. Sometimes it happens in phases. Sometimes you'll get the person 75% of the way free, and that other 25% will just fall off because all the freedom that they have just gotten will create this momentum that will lead them to complete freedom. So, um, that's all I have for deliverance for the time being. I would love to just pray, and then we're going to close the service. So, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I welcome your presence in Jesus' name across all the sites that are watching. I ask, Father, that you would empower us to partner with you in the unseen realm. I just see right now that God is just dropping um, just words and encouragements and just dropping his love into into our minds right now. So Father, we we receive your love and your affection and we ask that you would use us, Lord. We, we want to be used by you to do this kind of ministry. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.